1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host, Ron Baker, and on today's show, folks, we have our interview with James Hethokoukas. Hey, Ron, how's it going?
2: I'm great, Ed. I'm really looking forward to this. Been a a big fan of Jim's for a long time.
1: (laughs) Yes, but as, as we like to say, we've been marinating in his work uh, all morning and definitely all week <laughs> for me, too. Uh, so we, we look forward to this conversation. Let me read him in so we can get started. Jim Petakukas is a senior fellow and the DeWitt-Wallace chair at the American Enterprise Institute, where he analyzes U.S. economic policy, writes and edits AEI Ideas blog, and hosts AEI's Political Economy podcast. He is also a contributor to CNBC and writes Faster Please newsletter on Substack. He is the author of the conservative futurist "How to Create Sci-Fi World We Were Promised," which is the subject of our interview today. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Jim Petakukas.
3: Uh Guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, can I take a guess at uh, that quote? Like when that quote was spoken, you may not have the answer handy. I think. Oh no, that we quote, we we know oh, it. we do. All <laughs> right, we know. So that, I believe that I'm gonna. So I could be wrong, so I may have overstated. It. I believe that quote was spoken by President Reagan. Was it at Moscow State University? That's it. Ding
1: ding 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 ding. <laughs> you oh, got there it. There we and, go.
3: And
2: and Jim, okay. even better. We interviewed the speechwriter Joshua Gilder. Ah. And also Peter Robinson. You know the Berlin Wall. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. interviewed all Reagan speechwriters almost. So listen, yeah.
3: anytime you can fit the word chrysalis into a speech, well, you know, you
1: know, you've got something happening. That's awesome. right. Sure. That's right. Well, let let's talk talk uh, about that a little bit. I'm gonna jump out of the shoot, Jim, and get you ha- get you to define the kind of the thematic uh, element of your book. The difference between upwing and downwing economies.
3: Right. Uh. You know, I I I think especially in this day and age, everything is you know left versus right. Are you on the left, center left, far left, center right, far right? and well well i i well, I think those are you know useful ways of looking at the world. I'm not sure they're the most important way to look at the world. I think the most important way to look at the world is not left wing or right wing but up wing versus down wing and up wing, and you can be on the left and right, I think be up wing is do you think we can do better? do you think uh that Humanity has the wisdom and capabilities to make a better, more prosperous world. And key to that is a tool called technology. Can we use technology not to create a utopia, but create a better world than we have now? And then there's downwing. Which, which has great doubts about all that, whether we have the wisdom, whether we have the capacity, whether it's well, whether perhaps we shouldn't grow an economy faster, it uses up too much of the world, too many resources. We'll just befoul the atmosphere. And it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, and all this other stuff is just way too risky. And I think those two views, you see them on the left and the right. Have huge economic components, which and cultural components, which I talk about in the book, and uh, if you have an economy which isn't growing very fast and uh, where it's hard to build things it's hard to take risks and those risks are rewarded, that's a downwing economy. You don't want that
1: you You claim that we did have a, a false start of an upwing economy from nineteen fifty five to seventy three Talk a little bit about that time.
3: Yeah, those, uh, that period, and I suppose there's a, there's a certain uh, bit of arbitrariness, though I try to come up with the reasons why I picked those years. But I think broadly, those post-war decades were very upwing decades. Uh, not, you know, there were certain, And of course, those were decades with you know two wars in them. And yet, uh, those were decades in which there was a lot of confidence in technology and, te- and technology to create a better world, space age. Uh, atomic age, the economy itself, uh, particularly in the 1960s, really accelerated uh, very fast uh, productivity growth, which is sort of the key economic statistic that I always look at, you know, output per worker, very, uh, very, very uh, uh, productive decades. And by the end of the 60s, you could, didn't matter who you talk to, you could talk to a government uh, official, CEO, Anybody and they uh, technologists they had the same view that only more of the same, more rapid growth. You know, the flying cars, nuclear reactors everywhere. You know, moon, all that stuff wasn't just like in the Jetsons or something. That was a very common view that we that the best was yet to come
1: uh, until it didn't. And then you, you date it to 1973, something happened in early 1973 that, that really was was caused the sputtering of the upwing 1.0.
3: Right. Well, if you want to, if you want to date it specifically, I would date sort of what I call the great downshift from that upwing 1.0. We're using a lot of terms here, uh, which was a, uh, a, a market slowdown in productivity growth, which is a thing that really drives living standards and wages. Uh, Now the confusing part was that that, as always within a big, big economy, there was a lot of other things going on. Uh, we had a huge oil shock and stock market fell and a, uh, uh, we, you know, we had a a very nasty recession. So at first, when, when productivity had downshifted, people thought it was just kind of a short term thing, but it kind of never went away even after we're long past, you know, oil shocks and so forth. Uh, we never had a return, that really robust extended growth that we had in those post-war decades. We had a little bit, you know, the late 90s, but that's, that's really been about it.
1: And I can, I'll can i say this. Uh, chapter four is entitled The Mystery of the Great Jet Downshift. And, and what, what did we do to ourselves? Like I have to say, chapter four just kind of pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, because what, what it indicated to me is that that we it, were guilty of ballistic podiatry and that we've we've really done harm to ourselves and I, I I think we and I think you make this case we'd live in a much better world today if we if we didn't take some of the steps what 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 do you think was the the real mystery behind it? what happened
3: you know i you know i I'm old enough that you know most of my life has been in what I would call the great downshift, other economists have called it, the, you know, the long stagnation. And it is infuriating because, although I think there were these kind of macro factors that played, that played a role. I think our decisions mattered. I think a decision to, uh, to regulate, particularly, you know, to the benefit of the environment in a way that assumed at best the regulations would not affect the growth of the economy, technological progress, the ease of building things, the ease of building a nuclear reactor, that we assumed at best that wouldn't matter. Of course, some people did want to slow the economy, did want to slow progress, and that was the point. So that's it. Like, we didn't have to do that. We chose to do that. Uh, The fact that after spending all this money on the space race, which I was all for, we didn't really pivot to any other like big long-term societal goals in which you know maybe government science spending would have a role, there was no uh, project you know nuclear fusion or or something. Uh, so those two areas specifically, what we spent on science research and how we regulated together, just I think were the play play really significant roles in sort of the downshifting in progress and growth. And then, you know, eventually, you know, all that got picked up by the culture and which is why, you know, to this day, uh, every single movie about the future just about shows it as an absolute disaster. So we've also been marinating in that. So all very, very frustrating.
1: Well, we've also had Deirdre McCloskey on a number of times and we've we've asked her this because she says that it's the importance of rhetoric in the in that w- what's happening culturally what's what what's being talked about that's really uh, w- w- the cause and w- I think I distinctly remember asking her the first time he's on is do you do you fear that that we might be turning ourselves around and she said yes flat out and I, I hope and we'll get to the end of the book and that what we, we we hope is optimistic um I wanted to ask you this though, Uh, Your AEI colleague, Tony Mills, and British biochemist, uh, Terence Keeley, just had a great debate on the Soho Forum. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it yet. Mm -mm. But one of the things that Keeley suggests is that $1 in government investment in basic science research is actually negative due to the crowding out effect. And that $1 in uh, business expenditure on basic science yields $3 for the economy. Would Care to comment on that?
3: Yeah. Well, I think – I I think what's important is that generally business and government, you know, do something different. Uh, like, you know, the, the share of spending done on research by government versus a business, which used to be two thirds government and about a third business has utterly flipped around where you have two thirds by business and one third by government. I, I think there is like this weird border between the two that you're not quite sure who should be doing what, uh, but I think broadly they're doing different things. And I think what I'm concerned about is that if you is where the crowding out would happen, I think would be the crowding out of talent, scientific, which is why it's super important to make sure that, we, that a steady stream, not only just homegrown, which we need, which I do talk about education in the book, but a steady, a steady stream of foreign talent comes into the United States. I think, I think, you know, to the extent I understand that argument, uh, might help that issue. But I have no doubt that, that there are the, there are some things, basic research, maybe a little bit of applied, uh, uh, that, that we need to be spending, I think, multiples more money on and combining this kind of deregulation. uh, I talk, I feel, I feel like very confident uh, in that, though, you know, what the kind of stuff business does like that's also super important as they're seeing right now with AI.
1: Yeah. He, I mean, I, Keely basically says as, as long as it's more mission based that it will be, it would be successful as opposed to really, you know, just flat out basic research. I think that's what uh, the point he was trying to make. Yeah, but, I,
3: I, Again, it's, it's hard mm-hmm. to figure, like, for instance, uh, you know, like these uh, next generation, like geothermal companies and like nuclear f- fusion companies, like a lot of them will get like Department of Energy grants to help finance demonstration projects. Like, does that cross the line? I mean, w- I would prefer like a huge like carbon tax or something and just let the market figure it out after that. Uh, so that that kind of thing, I guess I'm willing to accept as like a second best solution. Like what I don't want is like, you know like to nationalize the AI companies or something like that and have like the government AI company or the government nuclear fusion company. Like that certainly is like far. that's certainly like an
1: outlier to me. Well, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we're up against our first break. I want to remind our listeners that they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to AskTSOE at Verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We do have our Patreon channel available at Patreon.com slash TSOE. There you can listen to the show commercial free as well as to our bonus episodes that we record after each of our shows at a certain level you can get a shout out like blake oliver does at earmark cpe check him out at earmarkcpe.com. but right now a word from our sponsors
3: follow voice america at facebook.com forward slash voice america for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts
4: have you ever read a book that changed your life i sure have For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com TSOE and subscribe now. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety.
1: Talk on today's hot topics. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
0: You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Jim Pethikoukas, and he's the author of The Conservative Futurist. And Jim, you know, I know Elon Musk tweeted that, you know, they promised us, promised us flying cars and we got 240 characters instead. You you point out that instead of nuclear fusion reactors, we got solar panels on the White House roof. Do you think oh, just overall that innovation is slowing down? And I'm talking about more uh, present day. Right.
3: I think uh, innovation... Which is lightly or zero regulated, you know, in you know innovation with computers and the internet. I think that's been going very fast, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, if you ask people in, in Silicon Valley, that that's gone great. I mean, if you look at where the internet was, where it's today, the amount of wealth created—it's it's certainly hard to argue that there hasn't been a ton of innovation. Uh, you know, where it's gotten hard is like the rest of the world, which is you know. Good, you know, good luck trying to build like anything, that, you know, in atoms, whether it's high speed rail, a reactor, a highway, uh, new housing, uh, you know, as part of uh, President Biden's, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, there's all these sort of green subsidies, um, you know, good luck building the wind turbine, getting the wind turbines out there. Oh, by the way, good luck building the factory that would build. The wind
2: wind turbine. turbine.
3: Right. So it's it's like, and I think there's been this realization among some of my uh, friends, uh, at least on the center left, that you can pass a bill that says we're supposed to do this thing and spend this amount of money. That is not the same thing as saying we are actually going to do that thing because it may take a very long, it may take so long to do that thing, there's going to be somebody else in office who may not want to do that thing. So I think there's a realization. Now, I would love if these folks had would would concede that this is not like a 2024 2023 problem, that this has been a multi-decade problem, but I'll take what I can get which is a you know better late than ever. So I think there is that sort of realization and they're accurate. You know, building in the real world, I mean that's that's why it's been hard to to do venture capital for real world projects. Uh so that I think the idea that perhaps There needs to be like a different view of regulation. Uh, I think that's starting to take the take hold on both sides. Hopefully it'll continue.
2: You quote in your book, Paul Krugman, who said productivity isn't everything, but in the long run, it is almost everything. And then you cite a study that if regulations had remained where they were at 1949 levels, our GDP today would be $75 trillion not whatever it is 27 28 trillion wow <laughs> I,
3: it it is it is to me it is stunning that uh, that when you look at what people sort of expected the economy to do back in the 60s and then also in the you know in the late 90s if they were to see the economy today they would think what happened which is why i call this downshift in growth to me it's as significant as the great depression. When you look at like where we are, which is certainly better than where we were, you know, 30 years ago or 60 years ago, but versus where we could be. I mean, uh, I can think of a lot of things to do with an extra 50 trillion or an extra 75 trillion. You know, I mean, it's might return a few, little bit of that to the taxpayers, uh, you know, probably some other things. Uh, it's, it's really stunning. You know, it's stunning that, you know, that rather than the average, you know, household making 70,000, maybe, you know, again, 150,000, 200,000. I think there is just not a a realization of how much we, again, it's always hard to recognize what you didn't get. You can see when something's taken away from you, but like that you just never got this. And people who say like growth is important, I just don't think they have a very clear image on what we didn't get
2: right i know when greta says you know oh you you've stole our future well this is what upset me about reading your book was this, this that's report. the stolen future I mean, that's the that stolen is the future. stolen
3: in fact a uh, little uh, little director's cut info here my original uh, more glo- uh, gloomy title this was going to be lost future that that mm-hmm. is the future we mm-hmm. lost and then when I, then when i started seeing some things percolating you know whether it's SpaceX or it's AI I'm like that's way too gloomy I that this does not need to be a gloomy book it can be like you know a f- you know a future you know found again or a future recaptured uh which I think is really more the ultimately the theme of the book
2: it is it's not a gloomy book at all even though parts of it depressed me like like this but it, the thing that scares me Jim is that when you look over in the EU They seem to have that, you know, born that all new technology is born in captivity. We seem to let it be born free, as Adam Thera likes to say. Um, But the EU scares me. Is that a harbinger of our future? The
3: fact that you have other rich economies that could be producing all that brain power, producing innovation, and they're not, that worries me. And the fact that so many policymakers here, view that as the model. That when they're looking for a an idea of how to do deal with the technology, that is where they go. That is what they try to pull off uh, the shelf. That, you know, sure. an economy which would die to have like our big tech companies and would love to have what's going on in a whole range from energy to space, the biotechnology, uh, AI, of course. That's not happening there. So to then, to look at that place, which now views as its comparative advantage, as regulation, uh, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It's to me, it's really unbelievable. That That's what you view is like. You, well, we here's what we do best. You know, throwing sand in the gears. That's what we really. Do. That's you know, boy, talk about inspiring a generation of Europeans.
2: That's a far cry from Ricardo's wine versus whatever it was, <laughs> cotton or whatever. Wow. Um, you, you know, Ed mentioned Deirdre McCloskey and, and her, her explanation for the great enrichment was giving dignity to innovators and entrepreneurs. I mean, you even got stories in the book about how innovation, you know, sometimes they beheaded the innovator, but we finally gave those folks dignity. And, and then you added something else I thought was really interesting, hope in the future. Or hope for a better future. Um, when you look around the world, and you see these declining fertility rates and declining population. At some point, maybe this century, does that worry you?
3: I I, I I'm I'm worried about that because um, that does play a role in, um, in in growth and progress. And remember, you know, a lot of people don't live in rich Western countries. Uh, a lot of people, you know, they. Imagine telling, you know, you know, the people who do not have the access to the kind of resources m- most of the people listen to this do that you'll never get them. You'll never live like people in the West. You'll never live like people in Europe or the United States. Uh, that That is I mean, yet have hope in the future. Um, I think for us. If we cannot imagine, I think a lot of people can't because we've had, so, I think, really a culture too much. Gloom that's painted very dystopian views of the future. That if we do not have the ability to imagine not a perfect future but a better future, you know, not just have you know why have kids, but you know why take a risk? Why why even try if the, if 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 our efforts will only make things worse? That if we build a reactor, it's going to blow up. That if we do that if we do this, it'll just make the it will use it will use up all the resource. If it's, then no, I guess, I guess it's, and if we do something only the tippy top of the income ladder will get, will, will benefit. Then I guess we shouldn't do anything. So I, I think that inability to imagine a better future, uh, which I think really marks uh, the past 50 years and really is another difference from what these upwing periods of the fifties and sixties and also the late nineties. Uh, I, I, I think, and I think it's important. And boy, if I think it wasn't important, I was absolutely reassured that when we have this amazing, what apparently is a pretty important breakthrough with uh, generative AI, these large language models, chat GPT, a lot of potential, that we spent like, what, about 15 minutes thinking about what they could do. And we immediately went to uh, take all the jobs and kill us like the Terminator. Boy, this isn't just about like people's bad views of nuclear power in the 70s. This is right now brand new technology. And in many cases, the exact same organizations or even people who were who were quashing progress in the 70s have reared their heads again to try it again
2: yeah you know you give a great historical sweep on on you know what created the downwing environmental movement in the 70s you know the atomic weapons dr strangelove rachel carlson silent spring and club of rome and of course paul ehrlich oh geez um
3: (laughs) also back also back
2: in the news (laughs) yeah i i I know this guy won't go away as even Mm -hmm. though his ideas suck um i guess this kind of goes back to ed's question about and deirdre's point about you know you say this created kind of a doom loop bad ideas equal bad policies which equals slow growth and
3: like i want to break that (laughs) doom. that doom that's exactly what it is it's like chicken or egg Probably, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, the 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 bad ideas and then that infects the culture. And then we end up passing these sweeping environmental laws, which were never meant to do what they're doing. And that and, and then that slows growth further. And uh, and that's what we've really been stuck in. And uh, there's seen and there was, you know, there was a moment like in the 90s where I thought we were going to break out of it. We didn't. And now I think we're at a moment where, again, we have a lot. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you guys have talked about AI and people are sick of hearing about it. You're going to hear more about it. Uh, but there's a whole suite of technologies that I think have a tons of potential. And, and to lose that moment again, to have another 50 years of, of reduced expectations and even slower growth, uh, because it's going to just be a lot harder to grow it's with, with population slowing. Uh, I don't want to see what our politics looks like in 10, 20, 30 years, if that's the case. And again, you know, I, I suppose we'll be OK here in here in rich countries. But there's a lot of people who aren't rich. And again, to, to sentence them to eternal poverty uh, because of because uh, of you know dystopian fantasies uh, is really almost too horrific for me to imagine.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it's amazing how fast bad policies can can come come upon a country as well. I mean, it just reminds me, what what do you think of what's going on in Argentina?
3: You know, that kind of shock, I think, you know, I think, you know, whatever the specifics of, you know, about, you know, the, you know, the dollar and their fiscal, I mean, I'm not an expert in the Argentine economy. I think what, you know, that, 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 that speech about like the world can be different. Like this isn't it. I think people are dying that someone can paint an optimistic vision see. that seems somewhat realistic, you know, based on some, you know, you know, very inherent values about, about human freedom. Uh, I loved hearing that. Uh, I would like to hear a lot more of that in the United States and not just hear of like what we're doing wrong and, Oh, don't take a risk. Cause it's going to upset, you know, because it's going to cause uh, some sort of disruption and people, you know, that's life. You know, uh, the the music of progress is uproar, uh, and I think either you embrace that and move forward, or you get stuck stuck in stagnation, which is a different kind of risk. Uh, boy, oh boy, I'm I'm pretty glad that we that we know how to cook up a vaccine really fast, and someday we may be really glad that we know how to knock an asteroid off course. Uh, so you know, it, it just isn't about. Like, you know, better better iPhones. I mean, that's great. I, I would certainly want that. But but a richer, more technological advanced economy can solve all kinds of problems mm-hmm. that maybe just impossible to prepare for. Yeah.
2: yeah, excellent. Well, Jim, this is great. Unfortunately, we're up against our next break. And folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon show, as Ed mentioned, and that's at patreon.com slash tsoe you can become a member and get our bonus content and that channel is now sponsored by 90 minds find a mind at 90 minds check them out at 90minds.com and now a word from our sponsors
1: enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us
4: follow us on instagram at voice america talk radio and see what we're cooking up for you
1: And we are back today with Jim Petakukas. The book is a conservative futurist. Um, Jim, right as COVID was breaking, Ron and I did a show entitled "Beware the Precautionary Principle." Um, and I look back on that show and think we did we, we did some pretty good work on that, and nobody listened to us, but <laughs> it, was, it was good that we got it out there. You introduced me to the opposite of the precautionary principle that I hadn't heard. It's called the proactionary principle. Tell me what talk about what the pro pro actionary principle is.
3: Well, I I'd, I'd call it the evil twin, but it's not. It's like the the good
1: twin. It's the good twin, which
3: rather rather than sort of better safe than sorry, it's uh, taking no risk is like the biggest risk of all. Um, to 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 do nothing, to stagnate, to ho- to hope that things just kind of work out. There will be no progress. There will be. There will be no um, uh, 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 ability to deflect an asteroid. There will be no ability to quickly come up with a vaccine. There will be no way to use AI to make it easier to do economic research. Uh, there There will be none of that. So if you think like right now is the best we can do and you just hope nothing goes wrong, fine. Uh, try the precautionary principle. Some, you know, we have a great, great example. Know who tried that? Japan. They tried it. After Fukushima and uh, they had a meltdown at the reactor, they decided, you know, better safe than sorry again, shut down all the reactors. What happened? Well, they froze. They froze in the winters. They started burning a lot more fossil fuels, a lot more particulate matter in the atmosphere. So between sort of the pollution deaths and the people not turning up the heat, old people, you know like thousands of people died over the over the subsequent decade and now they're restarting the reactors so we saw once again we saw that principle in action and now they decided well maybe it's better to take a, take uh, some smart risks and you know so much of government falls into those two categories you have upwing you know willing to take a risk downwing uh, don't don't take a risk because something bad might happen
1: yeah, you you make a, a pretty good case that the shuttering of Germany's and, uh, and Japan's nuclear power plants caused more deaths than act than the accidents that precipitated the shutdowns, and I, I, I that's just wild to me. Even uh, you quote uh, Greta Thunberg has said, you know what, nuclear's got to be in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in order for this to work, right? Um, but then the book, I think, takes a, a, a really uh, upbeat, upwing okay. turn, certainly toward the end. And I'm going to start off by asking this question. You And I thought you put this really well. You said, we have in the past gone from 0.03% economic growth a year to 0.3%. We've gone from 03 to 3% economic growth. Why can't we go from 3% economic growth to 30% economic growth and make this another S-curve jump? That was one of the most exciting exciting things that I think I've read in the last like five years. So talk a little bit about that.
3: It, you know, when, when we've been talking about um AI, and boy, I, I think, I think and I hope, I hope and I think that it is not that at worst it is a technology only as good as a computer plus internet. But it might be something more. And it won't be something more just because it has the ability to automate call centers, but it will make us wildly more productive in all aspects of our life. And if that's the case, we're talking about something we haven't seen before, the ability to accelerate scientific research across the board. And And to be sure, I would be quite happy if at the end of the day, the United States can grow only as fast in the future as it has in the past, which by itself would be like twice as fast as what like the CBO and the Fed are expecting. Like If we could do that, you, you know, like, you know, the, uh, you know, all the entitlement problems, all that stuff, throw it out the window. Uh, people would, people would think that was great. Wages are rising. But to do better than that, um, I think at that point, you are, you are really talking about a world uh driven by that driven by that progress, it's really it's really hard to picture it's you know and that's you know i don't know what you want to call that. if you want to call that the singularity if you just want to call it um just another amazing re- uh revolution because if, certainly if you look at the original industrial revolution and i'm you know you probably have talked about it you look at what was happening for a long time and then when you had the industrial revolution you would if you only looked at the chart of progress you would think aliens had, had arrived and started giving us all kinds of great new devices. That was the change. Um, I I think that's what we should be thinking about. Whether or not we get that, I think that should be the goal, Not, not incremental. I don't think incremental's going to cut it. I don't think it has to cut it. I think we've been thinking incremental for quite a long time. And when someone doesn't, like Elon Musk, Like things happen. Like all of a sudden, there's like you know, you know, a five hundred billion dollar car company. All of a sudden, we have you know rockets which can land and take people to Mars. Uh, Less incremental thinking and more people who are inspired to make you know big leaps, and and we'll see where that takes the economy.
1: Well, I don't know if you saw. Ron and I talked about it l- last week. Uh, there was, I think it was engineers at Google have recently uh, used artificial intelligence to to what they say f- you know figure out what the potentials are for creating new battery technology, and they said that that it did 250 years worth of research <laughs> in in about two weeks. Like this, this is what we're t- what you're talking about here, right? People are f- <laughs> people are focusing on like the most
3: mundane potential applications of this technology. Now just think if you had well, again like a super, like literally like a superman, like a super research assistant who could run through every possible combination and then, you know, and then try to figure out every possible application and does that in every field of human endeavor. And also remember, AI today is the worst it's ever going to be. Uh, I, boy, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I work at a think tank and you know, and you know, I've, it's been drilled into me, you no, know, don't make big claims without big evidence. So listen, instead of being a 2% economy, if we're a 3% economy, great job. But you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I, when I'm not at the think tank, I begin to start and I read stories like that and that's hardly the only one out there, uh, I think this, again, I think this is a great moment. I really don't want to screw this up. I think, you know what? Uh, We need to like quash AI for a while till we quote unquote figure things out or we need to nationalize it. Or, you know, it's just, it's or this is the best one. I don't know if you've talked about this. Sure, maybe you're right. Maybe you can do all these things. But you know what? It uses too much energy. We can't do it. Takes too much energy to train these things. It takes too much energy for these data centers. Sorry, guys, uh, we ju- we just
1: can't do it. You know, maybe maybe in another lifetime. Yeah. So let's, people are know, saying
3: people are saying that.
1: I know. And, I know. Let's solve the energy problem because you know I, the difference between two percent economic growth and three percent economic growth isn't one percent. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not one percent. <laughs> That's one of the the biggest bottlenecks yeah it's 50% and and then 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 2 and, and 40 is unbelievable uh, is there since the, the publication of the book is there any innovation or technology announcement that has taken you a little bit by surprise is it or the, that you know cuz you have a lot of great ones in there already so i'm just wondering if there's anything that that's recently come to your mind
3: well it's interesting as I was sort of wrapping up the manuscript is when Chat GPT really came out. So I'm like, you know, fighting with my <laughs> editors and we did to try to shove as much of that uh in there. Um I like that like that's really just starting. And when I talk to people who are, you know, who are, you know, in Silicon Valley, I have no reason but to think like like if you think you're sick of hearing about it, you're going to hear a lot more about it uh in the coming uh, uh years ahead. So that to me, that to me like a bunch of things happened just as I was finishing you know like the nuclear fusion breakthrough, like those breakthroughs and what's happening both in the government labs and the startups uh that's also like a different world. A different world where like we can do commercial fusion is not only a world of clean, abundant energy everywhere, All these dreams about like you know space colony, asteroid mining, that's that looks like then you can do it. Then you really can do it. You have this easy source of energy that's safe. Uh that changes that whole picture. And when I talk to some fusion experts, like you know, that's what also gets them super, super excited. So, you know, I think people have have talked less about energy, they were talking about AI, and maybe we're talking about the biotech, which a lot of those, a lot of those things are starting to get approved with CRISPR starting to get approved by the FDA. Uh, you're going to be reading a lot more about those kinds of approaches. Uh, I mean, there's just one recently about sickle cell disease expect to see more, more of that. Uh, again, I just hope we have, have the uh, regulatory structure that will allow all these things. And some of these technologies do need like more research. And I hope we are willing uh, to fund those um, because, you know, we could, you know, a lot, a lot could happen. And I just hope we're ready to to back it up as a society.
1: Uh, I've only got two minutes left with you and and toward the end of the book, you you write a letter to your future self um, or or to 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 the, those of Americans in twenty uh, seventy six. Uh, by the way, I think we're almost exactly the same age because I was nine years old in, in, in 1976 as well. Uh, so, so you write, you write you, this letter. You've clearly taken better care of yourself. <laughs> well, clearly taken better I don't think care so. Yourself, um, so I don't know. Uh, anyway, the the question is, uh, and this is maybe one of those future claims you're not supposed to make. What do you believe the probability is that you're going to be able to read that letter aloud in 2076?
3: Um, I think it is not I think there's not an, well, first of all, the main reason I, I think not is because I'm super clumsy and I will likely get hit by a car. Uh, I was run over by a car only like three weeks ago. So that, you know, so that, uh,
1: put that like, aside, you know, put that
3: aside. Yeah. That's hard for me to put that aside. I think, <laughs> I think there is, I think there is a chance. Yeah. I think there is a, it's not, it's
1: not zero. It's not, it's, it's it not zero.
3: It is absolutely, uh, not zero, uh, at all, despite my despite my own per- imperfections, um, I, 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 I'm I not sure I want to live to be five hundred. But you know what? Um, I got a lot of kids going to have a lot of grandkids. Uh, 20 uh, 2076. I don't think is beyond. And that's why I tell my kids, I go, listen, uh, keep keep learning. Stay curious. You could be around for a long, long time. So uh, don't you know, don't get ready to die. Don't think you're going to be dialing it down when you're sixty five. And you know, I would want to. So I I
1: feel pretty optimistic, really. Well, this is great. Ron's going to take you the rest of the way home. I have an expression, Jim, that I like to use. I I I I, I don't have future shock. I have future glee. So it was oh, really just, <laughs> it was just it was it was really wonderful to read your book. So thank you for that. But Ron will take you the rest of the way home. I want to remind our listeners they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is the Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Uh, please rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. That helps others to find the program. And we promise that if we any reviews that we get, we will read aloud on the air, good, bad, or indifferent. But right now, a word from our sponsors, including my employer, Sage. A little birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN.
4: Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now you know that for $5 you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash T S O E and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with James Pethokoukas. He's the author of The Conservative Futurist. And, and Jim, in one of the chapters towards the end, you have 11 ways to build an upwing economy. And we're not going to go through all 11 of them. But I, the first one amazes me, colonize the moon. I thought that was pretty cool. Don't regulate AI to death. Couldn't agree more. I mean, EU, call your office. But then you say, open the economy for immigration and trade. And by pointing out that half the unicorns in Silicon Valley have at least one foreign-born uh, founder, this is a tough sell to the right, as you know, in present yes. times. How, how, how do you think we change those minds?
3: It is tough. Those, those two issues, uh, trade, immigration, the, like the open economy issues. Uh, the, I don't see... How we compete globally—forget about like our allies—but compete successfully or as successfully as possible uh, against our uh, geopolitical rivals who may not have our best interests at heart. Um, without like liberal democracies uh, want trading, you know, with each other and as open a way as possible, and allowing people from wherever who want to do something great with their lives to come here to that. I mean, that's one of my favorite Elon Musk quotes. And I may we've mentioned him too many times, but I saw him say this in person. He said, if you want to do something great with your life, and it didn't specify that as necessarily had to be start a company, maybe it's, maybe it's run a bodega. And then maybe your kids go to college, whatever. There's no better place to do it than the United States of America, that flow of talent to the United States, where it can then, like be rewarded and most of productively use, uh, it really is a, a, a superpower. And I understand the concerns about illegal immigration and having open borders, but as a part of that debate, we should absolutely be making it easier. Uh, you know, for people who want to strive and do things, To come here. Like, we want those people. And trust me, if you look at the demographics, a global scramble for talent is about to begin uh, everywhere. And some places, like, are not set up to do it. People are not going to want to immigrate to Brazil. And some places, like, you can't, like, have two thirds of your population be immigrant. Like, that's just not going to work. One country that can do it, which can incorporate people, and we're going to want those people is the united states and if you have question it now when you start looking at those birth rates what happens with population across the world i think the immigration question is going to go away
2: yeah i mean people are the ultimate resource right so why wouldn't you yeah. want more of them
3: that we are i mean that's what economic it's like you know the old movie Soylent green Soylent green is made out of people <laughs> uh economic growth is made out of what we do and what we do with our hopefully with our ai helpers like that's what, I mean, that's what will make the future.
2: Yeah. Your, your last one, by the way, I just have to ask you about this. You say create a safety net for a new dynamic upwing economy. Are, are you thinking something like UBI? Would you be in, in favor of a universal basic income?
3: If you were to tell me that, and again, I think this is a, a historical thing to say, that machines can do every single thing that a human can do. Can be as creative. Can do every physical. Well, then I then you know I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe that is a world where you know everyone's only going to be working like a few a hour, few hours a week, and we You know, may, you know, maybe. But I think the more realistic is that you have to be careful of people who don't function as well in this economy. Make sure that they have a living standard. That a society we think is we think is appropriate and we should be a richer society. So if that means you know like earnings and wage subsidies like we already kind of have and think harder about those, you know, we absolutely should. But I I really don't think we're facing a future of mass technological unemployment. Now listen. We may not be working forty hours a week or forty-five hours a week. Maybe in the future we're working as as John Maynard Kane said back in the thirties. Maybe we'll only work fifteen hours a week. And boy, like and people who are worried about declining birth rates, I think the key isn't like you know, to try to subsidize and, you know, Mm. give people money to have more kids. I think it's create that kind of future. You know, if you're only working 15, 20 hours a week, well, what are you going to do with the other time? Maybe, maybe, you know, having more kids around might seem like a, a good thing to do. Like that to me is a far more likely scenario. If people want everyone to be having more kids than trying to like at the margins, you know, tinker with the tax code. Um, but I, you know, th- I'm sure there'll be more ideas about, b- about, the safety net. And I think that, I think that's part of it, but I think the ultimate safety net is a fast growing economy, which creates lots of good
2: jobs. Yeah. If we had a $75 trillion economy, like you said, a lot of these issues kind of go away. <laughs> My <laughs> which, gosh. I, <laughs> again, imagine the
3: tax rates,
2: <laughs> uh, you talk about in, in chapter 13, you talk about some, uh, you know, it discusses why an upwing future can happen and why it might not you talk about some what things could accelerate it and what things could undermine it talk about that a little bit what what could accelerate and to an upwing economy
3: uh, um let me let me just say like the biggest reason to think now this will happen is because it hasn't happened right i mean mm-hmm. the biggest thing that ha- is that because it's been year after year decade after decade so i think that's so i think that's so to make the case i think you need to say like what is going to change and what i think one thing that's going to change is and it may is you know, and it may seem like, you know, kind of like a a cheap excuse or reason, but it isn't that we're in a, I think a very tough geopolitical competition mm-hmm. and to make the, and when you're in Washington, DC, if you want to get things done and you say, fine, don't do it. Do you want this to be the, China, the Chinese 20th century? Do you want them to be the tech leader? Just imagine, just imagine if back in November, 2022, it wasn't open AI with Microsoft funding that launched chat GPT. What if it would have been Tencent? or Baidu or some other Chinese company that they had the world's leading large language model. It would have been like Sputnik. You sick of hearing about AI? Imagine what you would hear if we were losing the AI race. So that prospect by itself should be a catalyst to try to uh, put innovation at the heart of public policy. So I think that is a, I think these just having these technologies like ready to go Listen, it wasn't so long people were saying, eh, what is what has Silicon Valley given us but social media? I mean, there are people saying that. Well, now what's it giving us? It's giving us reusable rockets, super intelligent computers, uh, you know, maybe nuclear fusion reactors or deep... Th- it's giving us quite a bit. So the fact that we have these technologies where you can see, like, where the progress can come from, uh, I, th- I think that also is a- an amazingly uh, 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 important factor. And finally, I, I realize maybe people aren't seeing this yet, but the fact that we are able to come together—government, the private sector—attack a problem like uh, during the pandemic with this Operation Warp Speed, like that should be in campaign commercials. Not most campaign commercials—they end with the Apollo program, as far as when America was great. Uh, that was pretty. That was pretty awesome that we are able to do that. Uh, so that, to me, shows. Again, the advantage of being a rich, technologically advanced country—you don't have to have perfect, perfect forecasting abilities. You don't have to have perfect preparation, which we certainly didn't. Despite everyone knowing this, a pandemic is coming. What did we do? Man, we innovated our way out of it, and I think that that should be a powerful example.
2: Jim, I've only got about a half minute with you, but you you you, you talk about the doomsday clock. You know, from the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, um, it you know shows how close we are to nuclear doomsday, I guess you propose something. I think this is an awesome idea. I hope AEI funds this for you, a Genesis clock. Explain the Genesis clock.
3: This is about how many minutes subjectively we are to a midnight caused by climate change, nuclear, whatever. It's how many minutes are we to the dawn of a new era of prosperity and opportunity I actually think I should make this and it would be quantitative like like and I would look at things like you know uh the progress of AI the, the decline of global poverty do we have new vaccines for this all these factors hopefully wrapped up in a powerful symbolic image uh to tell people like you know, like Progress is happening and we can build upon it. How many people don't know that like a billion people have come out of deep poverty in the past 25 years? A lot of people have no idea. They have no idea these vaccines are on their way. Uh, so that's why I to create a Genesis clock showing like the progress we're making and how close we are to, I I, I hope, uh, a really uh, a, a new dawn for humanity.
2: Mm. Awesome. Well, you put that together and put you know, do a GoFundMe and Ed and I will contribute to it. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much. What an honor to be able to talk to you. Really appreciate it. Great book, folks. Highly recommend it. Ed, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours.
1: This has been The Soul of Enterprise: Business in the Knowledge Economy sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. That's noon Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us on the web at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.